Yay. Well, hey, we are in a uh, series called Come With Me. That's really uh, the theme that God's given us for this year. And we're focusing in the current kind of emphasis is on transformation, uh, being transformed, that God has invited us to walk with him, to come with him, and that part of what happens in that is that we are transformed. And so I'm super excited to get to share with you uh, this weekend on renewing our mind. Um, I'm going to read. In fact, let me just ask by a show of hands. How many of you, if I could say, you know what, there's a surefire way that you can be able to discern God's will for any given situation that you're facing? Would you be in? Surefire way. This is how to know, right? Well, listen to what Romans 12 verse 2 says. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then... This is a promise. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Isn't that cool? A little promise right there. God's like, hey, you want to know my will? I got a plan for that. I can help you get there. And I know it's not maybe that simple in our lives, but I believe that God does want us to know that he's prepared a way. and He's got a plan in mind to help us get better and better and better at discerning his will and being able to know what he wants in our lives. And wouldn't that just, like, relieve a lot of confusion and frustration? I think it would in my life anyway. So um, I believe that God wants us to look into that uh, this weekend, and so we're going to do that. And that is just that process of renewing the mind. As our mind is renewed, I believe that it's going to allow us to discern God's will better and better. Um, How many of you guys are iPhone people? Let me hear you. Can you say Steve Jobs? Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, how many Android? Hey, equal. How many Android people? Okay. Say, say, we're saving money, you suckers. Okay, all right. Anyway, I'm sure this is the case with Android as well. But I know for a fact that with, with iPhone, uh, several years ago, there was uh, an update. It, or like, you know, they come out every year, year and a half, whatever, with a different, a new model of phone. And uh, if in this particular year, several years back, if you didn't buy the new phone, you started noticing that your phone started running really, really slow. Anybody around when that happened? Like, it was just like, oh, my goodness, it was so frustrating. Like, what? My screen isn't loading. I got to find, it shows I have no friends. I know I have friends. Anyway, and it was this whole frustrating thing, and I think they actually, you know, whatever. There was some legal deals that they had. But here's the thing. They're continually developing software that uses more and more memory and more and more whatever it is, right? More space and it needs to be faster and faster and so what happens is every so often you literally have to like update your hardware in order to run the apps that you want to run right you want to do cooler cooler stuff you want to know the price of gasoline where the cheapest gas station is come on you know there's an app for that you want to know a great place to get a breakfast burrito there's an app for that you can go to yelp you can go to uh what's another thing you can find out with a really cool app i don't know what weather if it, well, sometimes in Colorado. Sometimes it's like, it wasn't on the app, but it's still rained. But anyway, there's all kinds of fun stuff we can do, but we have to have the hardware to be able to sustain the software that lets us have those benefits. Would you agree? Here's the cool thing. Pastor Dan and our teaching team brought up, he looked up the definition of the mind in that verse, that, that by the renewing of our mind, 
by this process, God helps us discern and know his will. And the, the, the word of the Greek says this, it is the organ for receiving the thoughts of God. Our mind is the organ for receiving the thoughts of God. So think of it this way, that the mind that God has given us is the hardware. It's like your device that has the hardware that then can have the thoughts of God, those apps downloaded. Does that make sense? So God says, you know what? I'm not going to leave you with your old hardware. I'm going to, if you cooperate with me, if you say yes to me, I'm going to continually renew your hardware so that you can sustain all the stuff I want to do and the ways I want to reveal myself. And you can literally download my thoughts and live. Isn't that cool? So we're going to do that. We're going to learn and talk today about how we can cooperate with God with the renewing of our mind. And the first thing that I believe God wants us to understand about renewing the mind is that we need to embrace the scope of this project. We need to embrace the scope of the project that God has in mind. How many of you guys have uh, started on your house with something that you thought was just going to be a very, very simple fix? Like, we're just going to fix the medicine cabinet. Like, that's all, right? It's going to be $49.95 at Lowe's, done by, you know, two and a half hours from now, right? But then you, like, pull that off, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, whoops, it bent the, you know, the two-by-four out, and the drywall cracked, and now it's like, well, you know, then your wife is like, I didn't really like the color of that tile anyway, and I've had my, and then it's like, no, wait, stop, stop. Anybody find yourselves in one of those situations? Anybody, real quick, what was that situation? Yes, Adam. Oh, I want a chicken coop. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> the chicken coop. That ended up being more involved than perhaps you thought. Anybody else? Project, real quick. Anybody else? Something you jumped into thinking it was going to be easy, it was going to be simple, and it's not. Right here. Shanti, what was your project? Husband's project. Oh, you, oh, the, oh! See what she did there? I like that. It's Ray's project. Okay. Well, there was a leak from the dishwasher, and we had to fix the floors, and the floors were already old, so we're thinking new ones. But since we're gonna take out cabinets, you know, and then the wall, and like, you know, it just, we're with you. It's a great kitchen. It's a <laughs> thanks, babe. You got a new kitchen out of that, or yeah, in the process. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, here's the thing, guys. I believe that God. Oh, sorry. One more. Yes, yes. Go ahead, Christina. Well, we were just gonna paint the island, and then it turned into like adding a whole bookshelf and now replacing the top. And it just, <laughs> then it moves on to different rooms because then nothing matches the island. So <laughs> <laughs> It just has a way of... Into the backyard. Yes, yes, yes. Because you see it from the island. So. It's like viral. It just spreads. The home reno spreads. I believe that when it comes to renewing our mind... Thank you guys, those of you who shared on that. Um, I think that's probably an experience we can all relate to. And I think that when it comes to renewing our mind... It really is the same way. You know, we think, hey, God, just slap a couple coats of paint. We're good here. And God has, like, total renovation in mind in what he wants to do. Would you agree? You know, we, we think, hey, you know, we just want to find a new method. And he's like, I want to change your end game. I want to completely revolutionize how you think, how you process everything that goes on. And I believe that if we embrace the process, it can save a lot of trouble. Because, man, when I'm wrestling with God and, you know, I'm trying to keep it at this scope, and he's like, but I really want to do more. And there's that battle. That can really slow things down. 
in that process of renewing my mind. So I believe God wants us to embrace it. Listen to what Psalm 24, 1 and 2 says. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He thinks he owns this place. <laughs> Listen to this. Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says these words. Pray like this. This is Jesus speaking. Our Father in heaven, and I know I switched it up a little bit on the version here, may your name be kept holy. Or as we would know it, hallowed be thy name. May your name be kept holy. Hallowed be your name. May whose kingdom? Your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can you see like the whole focus of the beginning of that prayer is on who? It's on him, isn't it? It's not on me. I don't know about you, but when I think about my life, I tend to start here. It seems like a very good place to start because, you know, it's, it's close. It's right it's, I am me. This is where I am. So this is where I, But God is saying, I believe Jesus was teaching his disciples, and I believe God wants us to understand that the scope of what he wants to do in transforming me and renewing my mind is way bigger. He wants me to completely shift to a God-centered understanding of the universe. He's saying, the earth is the Lord's, it belongs to me, and everything in it, all the people, Jesus is teaching his disciples, saying, pray like this, our Father in heaven, my top priority, the most important thing to me is that your name be hallowed, that your reputation, that, that what people think about you, that what people know to be true of you, that that be kept holy, that that be like, that your name may be made famous, that nobody would badmouth you, that nobody would say that you don't keep your promises, that you're a, not a faithful God, that you're not a loving father, but that always people, when they talk about you, would go, yes, God is who he says he is. He's, he's merciful, he's kind, he's powerful, he's wise. Jesus is saying, man, I want you guys to, to be transformed in the way you even view the world as God at the center. And you guys are all like, how many of you guys uh, know a, a guy named uh, Copernicus? I mean, you probably don't know him because he's been dead for, <laughs> it's probably not a good way to ask that question. He's been dead for like 500 years. But have you heard of him? I used to call him Copernicus because it just felt like copper, but it's only one piece. It's Copernicus. Anyway, but he was uh, born in the uh, 1473. Uh, by 1507, you know, he was born in Poland. He went to Italy, went to university. He was going to actually go into church work and lawyer kind of stuff, but he ended up getting uh, interested in astronomy. And he starts like one of the towers that he had, like a study. He didn't even have a telescope or anything, but he started looking at the stars and looking at the planets and looking at different things. And he came up with this radical notion that changed the way that our cosmos had been viewed for 1,350 years. So ever since 150 AD, this guy named Ptolemy, with a P, Ptolemy, had created this model that said, hey, the earth is at the center, 
and then the moon revolves around it, and then the sun, and then some of the planets. And so, like, depending on how far away from the earth they are, that's how often, you know, that's the, the, the length, you know, day and a month and all that kind of stuff. But he really believed, no, 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 we got this all wrong. The sun is at the center, and the earth is actually revolving around the sun. And he came out with this model, and it was earth-shattering. Well, it was just truly remarkable, right? The Catholic Church was not amused. They did not like it because they had viewed it for 1,350 years a certain way. But he was like, I really believe this is happening. And that, all of a sudden, that change prompted a whole new understanding of how our universe works. I believe that what God wants to do in us is at the level of that discovery. I believe he wants us to understand he is at the center. And I don't know about you. For me, it's a little, you know, I'm like, I make a good center of the universe. I mean, but when you stop and think about it, think about this. With one trifling exception, the universe is made up entirely of others. Think about that. He makes a way better God than we do. And God is saying, God, I want to change you from the inside out. I want you, if you want to know my will, if you want to truly get good at discerning my will, my good, pleasing, and perfect will, it's not going to happen, DJ, as long as you want to be at the center of your world. Because you're not, you're going to miss it. It's going to go, because you're looking for things that keep you at the center and that make your life comfortable at the center and that keep you in control. And God is saying, I'm trying to bring you to a place. Now, God is at the center with or without my permission, right? I get that. But would you also agree in our own little universe, he actually has given us a remarkable amount of power? Right? So even though he's at the center, I get it. He's with or without my permission. He is who he says he is. But in my life, I can still create a fake little planetary system where I'm at the center and everything, and I try to keep everything revolving around me. And God is saying, man, if you'll hear my invitation, I want to transform the way you think and renew your mind and help you to see that actually uh, this is, yes, the way it is in the actual universe, not DJ's universe, but, but also that you can choose to bring that reality into your DJ little micro universe and see how amazing it is when I'm at the center, when I'm on the throne. Here's the thing, guys. What makes this tricky is that there's a lot of principles that God has established, financial principles, relationship principles, success principles, all those things, and they really tend to work even when we are still in the center, right? So if you start doing things God's way, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, we're gonna experience a measure of success, right? If I get up early, go to work, I'm respectful to my boss, work hard, I'm diligent, I'm kind, and whatever, you know. I, I remember reading business books back in the day written by Christians, and it was like, oh, if you do this and this and this, people will tend to respect you. They'll tend to wanna listen to what you have to say. They'll tend to really be influenced by you. And in my heart, and I'm not saying that's wrong, that's all good. We need to be good leaders. We need to be good husbands and wives. We need to be good managers of our money. We need to be good parents. We need to be good employees. We need to be good bosses and entrepreneurs. But, man, in my heart, it's like, there's something missing, though. It doesn't start with, like, doing things that manipulate others to follow me, right? It needs to start by putting God at the center and wanting his glory. Hallowed be your name. Jesus, hallowed be your name. God, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 
Let me be revolving around you. And yes, sure, let me get better at all these areas. And yes, let me incorporate good parenting principles and good financial principles and good, all of the wonderful things in the book of Proverbs and throughout the word of God. Absolutely, let me be renewed in that. But it's not all about the success I experience because of those things. It's because I want God to be at the center and everything to reflect his glory in my life. Would you agree? Do you want that? Let's not confuse living by his principles with living for his glory. He's wanting to renew his people. He's wanting to renew our mind to put himself at the center. So I wanted to ask you guys a little interactive moment here. Is any of you willing to share a time when God confronted you with an area where he wasn't yet at the center the way that he wants to be and you felt him saying hey would you allow me to place myself at the center in that specific area anybody willing to share I know it requires a little vulnerability here but we're family I'd love to hear from you if you can share quickly but yes and please state your name first I'm Lorraine God has been working on me with love and forgiveness uh there's things people that know me intimately know that I can tend to be a hothead when things rile me up, and the Lord's been working on me with that. And um, I've got a daddy self, and I've been working on it hard, and it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's not easy, but um, love and forgiveness—that's the thing. And the Lord told me, "Am I going to find love when I come back?" And I thought, Lord, yeah, you will through me because I'm going to work on it. That's good. That's good. Thank you can't you have sure. one without the other. Yeah, yeah. You felt him saying, hey, can I, can I be in the center in that area of love and forgiveness? That's good. Somebody else want to share? So my name is Dan. Um, when I first got saved, it was like in 2000, when I was uh, reading a lot of Left Behind books, talking to other people. I knew people of faith. Um, reading the Bible constantly, but I just didn't really feel like God's presence and his spirit in my life yet. And uh, one of my friends invited me to a youth camp to be a counselor, and it was middle school kids up at a YMCA in Nassau Park. And he had an altar call for the kids, and I felt like, okay, I better go up there. And I've been praying for God to reveal something, that there's something in my life that he still wanted. But anyways, I go up to the altar call, and I'm like, God, I just really want to feel your presence. I know the Holy Spirit's real. I know you'll enter me, and I know I'll feel it, and I know it's you. And I'm like, what is it that's still there? And he's like, well, what do you do when you go to work? And I'm like, well, I usually listen to, like, James Dobson or Chuck Swindle or some message on the way in. And then at lunchtime, <clears throat> I invite people to go to lunch. And I, hey, I'll drive. And I'm walking out to my car. And I'm like, what do I do? Well, yeah, I run out to the car and I try to change the station real quick so they think I'm cool. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, you want to be my best friend and have this relationship, but you're embarrassed by me? And it really hit me. I was like, wow. Like, I should not be embarrassed. I should let that light show. And if I'm going to be real about this, I have to be sold out and not care what people think about me. So good. Good for you, man. Thank you for sharing that. The first thing that popped in my head, DJ, when you said that, is my driving. Wow. (laughs) I'm pretty sure everybody needs to revolve around me and my car. (laughs) Have you felt God just kind of yes. a little? <laughs> but you're still in process. 
That's, that's okay. One more? So just recently in a counseling session that I w was in, one of the things that came up was that I, for years, have always been afraid of being in trouble or getting into trouble or being punished. And it comes from my past of always of punishment being severe. And so in that moment, Rob prayed and invited the Lord to come in and release the spirit of fear. And it was it was amazing, wow. the the freedom that I finally felt after years. Mm. So good, so good. So just putting Jesus at the center of that area, you've experienced the freedom and yeah. the peace that He brings. Yeah, That's and awesome. it was that next that it was that next Saturday that you texted me and asked me to come play, come um, help with childcare, because wow. that was my homework to mm. go play. <laughs> That's awesome, Donna. Yeah, the Lord, the Lord kind of has concerted. Sometimes he'll speak a word to us, but then provide opportunity through even through others. That's good. That's good. Hey, if you could put the prayer on the screens. Um, we have a pastor friend in town. He is, um, his name is Theron Walker. He pastors the Anglican, Emmaus Anglican Church up on 5th and uh, Founders there and I asked him hey are there some prayers some written prayers in our teaching team it uh, it came out the idea of hey maybe there's an opportunity for us to to kind of reflect together on a prayer and maybe even say it together maybe even pray it out loud together that would ask the Lord Lord I want to I want to make you the center I want to think like you I want to be renewed and I'm willing to embrace the scope of what you're wanting to do and so uh, I found this one I felt it was appropriate so what I'd like to do is just maybe give you a minute to read that quietly, uh, just to ask the Lord, hey God, what, you know, what do you want from me to truly say yes to you in the areas that you're wanting to renew my mind and go beyond the scope of what maybe I thought I needed to truly put yourself at the center? And then I'd like us just to read it all together and I'll, I'll leave that. God speaking to you about a specific area or a way that he wants you to engage with him? Would you just, in your spirit, say yes to him? I'm going to read this out loud by myself first, and then I'm going to read it again, asking you just to read it with me if you, if you desire to do so, just as an act of saying yes, Lord. Um, I say yes to that renewal process, but here's what it reads. Oh God, without whose beauty and goodness our souls are unfed, without whose truth our reason withers. Consecrate our lives to your will, giving us such purity of heart, such depth of faith, 
and such steadfastness of purpose that in time we may come to think your own thoughts after you. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. If you want to tell the Lord that that's the desire of your heart and that you're opening that door to be renewed, then read it with me. O oh God, without whose beauty and goodness our souls are unfed, without whose truth our reason withers, consecrate our lives to your will, giving us such purity of heart, such depth of faith, and such steadfastness of purpose that in time we may come to think your own thoughts after you. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior, amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's embrace the scope of what he wants to do with us. You know, a second aspect that I believe God is asking for, if we want to cooperate with him in the renewing of our mind so we can discern his will, is that we need to trust the instructor. We need to trust the instructor. There was a, uh, for some reason, my wife and I got into, I don't know if somebody recommended him or whatever, but uh, there was a reality show uh, that we found. It's been out, I think, since 2016 or something for a few years, but we kind of got turned on to it uh, this spring, and it's called The Selection, and it is six special forces instructors, uh, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, Green Berets, <clears throat> that take a group of 30 civilians and put them through, yes, a modified version of what the selection process would be to be able to get into the special forces, right? So you have, there's this huge process of weeding people out and of getting approved then just to get in so that then you actually officially begin to be you know, taught and trained uh, to be a special forces uh, member of, of the military services. So they've got these, and they're out there, man, early in the morning, and they're doing jumping jacks, and they're having to do you know, sit-ups and push-ups, and they're you know, not getting a whole lot of sleep, and they're having to carry big, huge logs uh, together. They're having to do all this stuff. And, um, but here's the thing, and slowly, little by little, each one of them would have a patch that was Velcroed on their sleeve. And whenever they had had enough and they wanted to throw in the towel, so to speak, all they had to do was go out, ring a bell, and then go, I'm done, and tear their patch off and throw it on the ground. And they were free to go. Nobody was forcing this process on them. They were completely free to go. And so you saw throughout the days of different trials and different exits, they had to interlock arms and go lie on the surf on the beach and the waves of salt water coming up and basically covering over. So they had to hold their breath. And it was in 50-some degrees, you know, um, I think it was in the Bay Area in California, extremely cold water. Uh, and they stayed out there uh, pretty much all night until I think 4 or 5 in the morning. And, you know, they were shaking. And some of them had hypothermia. I mean, it was pushing these people past the limits of what they ever thought possible. One of the exercises was that they would tie their ankles together and tie their hands behind their back and throw them in a pool of water over their heads. And it's drown proofing. And so they have to do exactly what the instructors have said in order to survive. And so one of the exercises, obviously, go, let yourself go all the way to the bottom and then jump up and then take a breath and let yourself sink all the way down. Go all the way up, you know, push yourself off, take a breath. And they were able to stay alive if 
they did exactly what the instructors said. Obviously, they had symbols that they could do to be rescued, but then obviously to forfeit the program and to abandon that particular process. But here's what we found throughout this process is that the further and further along that these trainees got, something naturally began to happen that was really cool. You began to see them trusting their instructors more and more. You began to see them looking at these instructors who were special forces, who had done all these things. They weren't telling people to do what they weren't willing to do. In fact, one of them got up and did a thousand sit-ups in one sitting, just on the spot, just like that. Another one, I mean, they would demonstrate the things that they were capable of so that these students were going, okay, you can do what you're telling me to do and you're proving with your very life that it's possible and you're giving me secrets on how to get to where you are. And that trust begins to grow. I believe that with our walk with the Lord, it's the same way. We're not gonna be able to be renewed in our mind if we don't make a conscious decision, in fact, not a conscious decision, a million little decisions to trust our instructor, Jesus. He's been where we want to go. He's lived the life that he's calling us to follow him in. He's laid down his life in every way. He's been tempted and tested in every way as we are, yet without falling short or giving in to the enemy. So he's able to deal with us compassionately and he's able to help us. And so we've got to trust him Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord completely and do not rely on your own opinions. With all your heart, rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. Trust in him, not in our own opinions. Are, are you guys like me, man? I, I like my opinion. I think I'm a pretty smart guy. I think, looking around the room, I'd say we all are above average thinkers. <laughs> I mean, with a couple of exceptions, but I'm keeping my eyes moving. No, I'm just kidding. But I, really, I think it's natural for us, right, to think, you know, I've lived a certain number of years. More than, I mean, you know, you can see by my beard the number of years and their effect on my body the reflection, my bald spot, carefully interwoven with suave hairspray, just ever so perfectly. I'm still in that denial phase, you know, where it's like, what bald spot? Because I can sort of feel just like literally like four hairs, just like interlocking, you know, like there's no bald spot. But I go through half a, you know. They are making me an honorary stakeholder in suave but here's the thing, right? Like we've lived a certain number of years and I think it's no normal to feel like our opinions and the things that we've thought and we've come, the conclusions that we've come to make a lot of sense. But Jesus, I believe, is calling us to say, hey, I want you to trust me more than you trust yourself. Would you trust me? I'm an instructor who wants to teach you and bring you with me and transform you and change you into my own image. But you're gonna have to trust me. That word trust in the Greek is patho. And it means to be persuaded of what is trustworthy. The Lord persuades the yielded believer 
a believer who wants to be transformed by him, he persuades the yielded believer to be confident in his preferred will. It involves obedience, right? It involves action and taking steps of obedience, but it is properly the result of God's persuasion. I love that, persuasion. Have you ever seen, can you pull up that meme, uh, Braden? Have you ever seen like these people sitting around putting up a table saying like, change my mind, right? In this particular case, hey, I'm not sure I want to do things your way, God, but change my mind. I believe it might be as simple as that could be a starting point where God's not saying, I need you to fully be like, oh, yes, Heavenly Father, I completely agree with all of your manifest, manifold wisdom and your high way of thinking. And, you know, it's like sometimes it's like, man, God, I don't have a clue what you are trying to do here. I don't even know. I don't think I like it. I don't understand it. I don't know if I really want to be a part of it. I mean, are you with me? Like, is that, is that okay? Like, have you ever thought that? Like, well, in my marriage, what? I'm supposed to lay down my life? What? Am I... With my kids, I'm supposed to trust them and like pray for them, but not really tell them what they're supposed to be doing. I mean, if they're older than five or six, you know, there's seasons. I'm talking about adult kids here, right? And my finances, God, you're wanting me to honor you and trust you to be my provider and not just pursue money as a God, whatever, whatever the area is. And my health, you wanted me to make good decisions. But I believe that what if God is saying, hey, go ahead and be honest with me. I'm not afraid of your honesty. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you don't yet agree. Tell me what you don't yet understand. Tell me what you don't like. But then at the end, just say, hey, God, change my mind. Just pull up a chair for the Lord to be like, okay, let's talk about it. Right? He wants an invitation to change our mind. He's not saying, how dare you disagree with me? Didn't you read that in the Bible? I wrote it. I want your mental assent. I don't think God wants our mental agreement as much as he wants us to learn to trust him. I think he's looking not for like little robots, like, yes, you know, God, we will, you know. He's got millions and millions of angels who do his bidding, right? Psalm 103, all the countless angels who do his bidding. He's got creatures in front of his throne full of eyeballs saying like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, 24-7. He's got a lot of worship going on. Not saying he doesn't want more. He loves our worship. He inhabits our worship. He wants our worship. He seeks our worship. But I believe that God is saying part of the worship that I want with my sons and daughters is to step into that place of trust. Not out of fear. I better do this because God's going to get me if I don't. But out of a genuine relationship of saying, God, change my mind. I don't yet understand this. I don't yet see this the way you do. I don't yet want to do this your way. But would you have a seat and engage me? I think it was Isaiah that said, right, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. God's saying, man, would you invite me up to the table and have a conversation? Be intimate with me, right? Proverbs 3 says, if you're, uh, become intimate with him in whatever you do and he will lead you wherever you go. He's saying, hey, invite me up to the table. Let's have a conversation because I will persuade you. If you give me a chance to sit there and you give it time, I'm gonna get you. <laughs> I'm going to get you. I'm going to show you that my way is better. I'm going to, maybe a little baby steps, but I will persuade you. And that persuasion is that word for trust. And he's after your trust, right? He doesn't get anything by forcing us to do stuff. He wants us to truly come to know, wow, God, you're a good father. You're amazing. You're smart. You love me. 
You want what's good for me. You're the only worthy center of the universe. So, man, let's, let, yeah, what, what else do you have to say about that topic or any topic? God's inviting us to the table. Justin Stone said this, transformation happens in the context of relationship. And then Lauren Stone, they're both on our teaching team, she said this, trust is the currency of relationship, right? When we trust, it's opening the door for God to truly persuade us, right, and change the way we think. I think Dan had taught uh, probably years ago on the difference between vulnerability and transparency, do you guys remember, anybody remember what the difference is? Vulnerability and transparency? Transparency is like, hey, here's what I think, and here's why I think it, and I'm not going to hide it. Okay, that has its value. But you can be transparent and say, but nothing's going to change that. And certainly you're not going to change it, you're not going to change it, and you're not going to change it. Vulnerability says, hey, here's what I think, and here's why, but I'm open to being influenced and persuaded. It's letting the walls down, right? Do we see a lot of the transparency on social media sometimes? Ooh. Hey, here's what I think and here's why. Let me see if I can get to agree with me and if you don't agree with me, well, unfriend me. I mean, you know, it's like that whole like throwing stones at each other with our, from our walls. God's saying, man, I want you to be vulnerable. Be open to me persuading you and if you trust me, that's that currency in that relationship. You're going to see that happen more and more. What about this, though? I think it's all fine and dandy to talk about trusting him, but what happens when the pain gets really, really intense? I remember, Mom, I didn't ask you to share this example, but is it okay if I share about Dad and when he was going through his late last few months and the pain that he went through. Is that okay, Mom? Can you hear me? Mom? Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I'm going to share about Dad's last few months and the pain. Is that okay? I didn't ask you beforehand. I'm sorry. Okay. So my dad, tomorrow would, be, would have been his birthday. He passed away uh, June 27th of, of 2012, uh, so uh, 11 years ago. And he and my mom had served as missionaries for most of their lives, five years in Cuba, 23 years in Spain, eight years in Mexico, pastored in California in between, pastored in South Dakota before that, you know, given their lives in love with Jesus, um, raising their family, all of that. But my dad uh, got um, prostate cancer. And, you know, initially kind of slow, you know, it wasn't super intense at the beginning. But as the process went on, there was more and more pain. And eventually his legs began to swell, and they got really, really hard. I don't even know what the medical term for that is, but I mean, it was like, you know, you couldn't even, like it was, the skin was just tight and hard, and his feet, and he couldn't really walk without pain, and we had to take him in, and it was brutal. I was with him at doctor's offices, holding him up. Um, anyway, I, I won't share more, more detail, but, but very in a very vulnerable and a very, very humbling situation and the pain was so intense. And I remember mom and dad saying, man, we have worship music all the time. We're listening to messages. We're putting God's word in our minds. But man, in the middle of the pain is where it gets really hard. 
right? Like we know we, we trust in Jesus. We know what the Bible says, that he's a healer, that, that ultimately he's gonna make all things well, that ultimately it's all gonna, you know, he's gonna make all things right, that he's just, that he's merciful, that he's, that he's kind, that he's powerful, that he can heal. But in the midst of that pain, it's really hard. And I think the Lord wants you to know if you're in a place of pain, We've, we've uh, just in the last few weeks, just been working with several people who are in the midst of relationships, that uh, even marriages that are, that are breaking apart. And man, the pain of that. And just, and it's like, you know that he has pain and she has pain. And nobody probably woke up in the morning and said, I wanna be a complete jerk and be a complete terrible person. You know, we all in some way are products of our upbringing, our family, our culture, whatever, what we were, whatever, what we expected, what we thought it was gonna be like, but then life hits and unexpected things happen. And we've cried tears and we've prayed prayers. And man, I wish I could tell you that like, oh wow, yeah, every single person, ah, we laid hands on them and pow! And everything was healed and everything was wonderful and hunky-dory. And that's not, that's not, it's not always how it works, is it? There's a, a lot of times that the Lord walks through pain with us and it doesn't have an easy answer. And it doesn't have a, a pat answer that we can give in church and we can feel all theological. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I am, am trusting Jesus is with me and he loves me. And the enemy's telling me, shame on you. The enemy's telling me, you're not worthy. The enemy's telling me, you call yourself a Christian or a son or daughter of God or, or you know, how dare you or we'll look at you and you cause this and it's all your fault. Or, you know, the enemy's an expert liar, isn't he? He's an expert accuser of the brethren. That's his title. That's what the Satan means, is accuser, adversary. But I believe that God is saying, man, even when the pain gets so great that you don't understand and you feel like you've given up or you feel like you've let God down or you feel like you've failed, that he loves you, that he understands, that he's with you, that you can trust him. There's a psalm that says, precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And I don't know fully what that means, but part of me thinks that it means that when we, saints in the Bible means us, sons and daughters, right? Those who've trusted in Jesus and been given his holiness. And I think that it speaks to when we're dying physically or going through an experience that sure feels like death. There's, there's stuff that probably hurts worse than death. Would you agree? Honestly, like a physical death may not be the most, probably isn't the most painful thing to go through, right? There's other things that just are tearing us, our very soul, limb from limb inside of us. And we're trying to put on a happy face and trying to, and we're here on a Saturday night and we're hearing God's word, but man, we feel like we could just run and weep. God wants you to know he loves you. God wants you to know he's not judging you. God wants you to know that your death that you're walking through is precious to him. That when his sons and daughters are going through a death-like experience, 
that that is precious, that he, that he pays attention, that he takes that seriously, that he doesn't minimize your pain, that he doesn't preach at you and condemn you, but that he's walking with you, that you can trust him, that as you do, that he will show you his love and his faithfulness. One more thing I want to share with you about renewing our mind. Not only does God invite us to embrace the scope of what he wants to do, complete shift in our cosmic thinking of who's at the center of our life and of the world. Not only does he want us to trust in him because he's going to walk through it with us and teach us how to be like Jesus, but I believe that God is inviting us to take action and to trust others. He's inviting us to take action and to trust others. How many of you guys would agree that even when we say yes to the Lord, even when we say, yes, God, transform me, renew my mind, change me, it takes longer and it's harder than we typically would have envisioned? Have you found that to be true in your walk? Man, seems like the minute we try to do that, man, all of hell sometimes gets unleashed against us. And it's tough. But I believe that in those moments... You know, we can choose. We can choose to give up. We can choose to self-medicate. We can choose to go after things that numb the pain. Or we can come to Jesus and trust him and trust others. And that may be the toughest choice, right? I think all of us, I know I've run. There was a season in my life when I was a pastor in a church in South Dakota, and I was so frustrated. Every... Uh, I think it was Sunday nights, you know, we had church, and I was so angry with my life, and I was a young dad, and I was just felt trapped in so many ways. I would run home and rent movies. This was back in the video days, you know, the actual. Some of you younger ones in the room, you're looking at me like, what is that? But it's like a thing that you stuck in a... And it's like, you know, copyright, you know. You'll go to jail for a thousand years if you pirate, you know. You guys missed out. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But it would always be like these like violent, angry, you know. I'm not saying, hey, I can, if you want to know my movie choices, we can talk offline. But all I'm saying is, I knew some of that in that season, I was self-medicating. I was escaping from the pain that I was feeling. I just wanted to numb everything and just escape into that world. And I don't know what your escape is. It could be something totally different. But God knows. And he said, hey. I'm not judging you. I'm not pointing a finger. I'm not condemning you. But I might whisper, hey, would you step away from that escape thing and just come sit with me for a minute? Could we talk about this? Would you trust me to put my finger on that place of pain in your heart and maybe bring healing and freedom like you experienced, Donna, and bring you an opportunity to trust me and trust others and take action? I believe he'll do that. James 2 verse 18 says this, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Like, I've got, you know, uh, no, excuse me. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. 
Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. I believe God's saying there are action things. You know, we're not going to be transformed. Our mind's not going to be renewed. We're not going to get better at discovering God's will by just sitting around and going, well, thank you, Lord. I guess, you know, whatever. You'll just show me your will. I believe that there are action steps. There's steps of obedience that God wants us to put into practice. The kids this weekend in kids' church are learning from James about the idea of, hey, when we hear God's word, don't just be hearers. We have to what? Do what it says. Put it into practice. Take action on what God is showing us. But here's the thing. What if we don't even know what that action is? Have you ever been in a place where you're like, okay, Lord, I want to, yes, I embrace your, your scope and your process. Yes, Lord, I want to trust you, but I, I still feel stuck. I don't know how to break out of this place in my walk with you. I feel like I'm stuck and I'm spinning and I've been going around this mountain. God, help me. I was listening to a book that somebody recommended at one of our house churches, actually. And the title of the book kind of gives away what I wanted to say about it. And that is, the title of the book, it's a business book. And it's, I've only listened about four or five chapters, but it seems really, really productive and, and positive. It's Who, Not How. That's the title of the book. Who, Not How. And this author, who's a business consultant, has been around for a number of years, helped a bunch of companies, you know, be whatever, extremely successful in their industries and all that, said the first thing that we often think about is how, when we're given an assignment, I have to cook dinner. Okay, how am I going to do that? Let's see. What do I, uh, I have to help my kids with their math homework. Okay, how do I, right? Whatever it is that we want to fix or change or transform our lives, we start thinking, how can I accomplish that? But this author's perspective is that that's the wrong question. He says, there are people who have spent their lifetime learning how to do things in a million different strands of wisdom. And we're never going to, if I want to spend my, I would take a million lifetimes to learn all of the hows that I really would need to get me where I want to go. And so he says, if we instead start thinking, God, well, he doesn't, I'm adapting it. It's not copyrighted. God, who have you put in my life that has the how that I need? Who have you put around me? Who do I know? Who's at my ladies' Bible study? Who's in my house church? Who are my friends that I hang out with? Who, who am I married to? Who are my kids or my parents? God, who have you put that I might be able to trust and let that wall down just a little bit and share what's going on in my heart? And maybe they could actually have a part of the how that I would have never even thought of. I believe God wants to challenge us. We've had, uh, I had two phone calls in the last week and a half of, of men wanting to reach out, just kind of randomly unsolicited, saying, hey, the first guy was like, hey, can we like, get together maybe on a monthly basis and have coffee? And I just, I just want to grow, but I just feel like God was kind of pressing me to reach out and, and build a relationship with another man who loves God as well and just talk about life and whatever. No big structure, but... Then we had another gentleman come in and meet with Dan and I and just say, I need friends. I can't do this by myself. I can't do this loving husband thing. I can't do, I can't do this by myself. I need, I need some who's in my life. And I kind of am going, wow, Lord, what are you doing? Maybe God's stirring 
something in us. Because my first tendency was like, well, I got to train you on how. Oh, take that action step, and here's three steps of how you can. I don't know your how. I have no idea, but maybe the person sitting next to you does. Maybe they have that secret that you need for your how of what God is saying. Hey, inviting us into putting something into practice. Maybe it's an accountability thing. Maybe it's an encouragement. Maybe it's a habit, right? We've heard about people sharing from this pulpit. Whenever they open their car door, that's a little trigger to pray for their kids, right? That's just a little secret, right, that somebody has. I don't know. There's other people that, you know, on the way to work, you're listening to James Dobson. Maybe that was part of your how, what Dan shared. I believe that God is saying, hey, in the room or in our lives, he has placed people. And man, if you're like me, it's like, I don't want to trust anybody else. I'd rather you just tell me everything. And just let's, Can we handle this privately, Lord? You and me? Like, we're not Roman Catholics. We don't have to confess to the priest. Can I just like, in my prayer closet. But what if God is saying, hey, part of your healing, part of your transformation, part of the way I want to renew your mind is by letting someone else in. And if you'll trust me, your instructor, and trust them, and kind of take a chance, take a risk, you might be completely surprised at how you begin to grow and how something that had kept you captive for so long begins to make sense and you have a breakthrough in your life. Isaiah 43, verse 18 says this, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And I believe that uh, God is wanting to bring about a new season. But it's gonna happen as we choose to trust as we choose to take those little teeny baby steps of relationship and trust those difficult conversations. You know, I don't know what choosing to trust will look like for you. Um, with, with our life, you know, we're, Cammie and I, we became empty nesters like a year and a half ago, two years ago, was it? Three years ago, oh my gosh, my, see, I'm so old, I can't even remember. Midlife crisis, empty nesting, just all a bunch of like sort of nutty stuff happened all at once. And man, it wasn't easy and it hasn't been easy. And we had to make a lot of choices to have difficult conversations with each other. Places that we wanted to just guard. Be like, no, I don't want you in here. This is my little turret. You go in your turret. We'll like yell at each other from across the turret, you know, across the fortress. And it's like, that's not been where God, God has invited us, like, no, 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 like, open the door. Let her in. Let him in. Have, share more about your hearts than maybe you ever thought you wanted to share. Share more about your thoughts than you ever wanted to share. Share more about your, your life. Whew, man, it's hard to trust sometimes. <laughs> Even if it's somebody you know and love and have every reason to trust. But I believe that God's saying, man, if you'll trust me and obey me and open the door one tiny baby step at a time, I'm gonna meet you there. I'm gonna renew your mind. 
and you'll be transformed. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your word to us. God, I just pray for us as your people. God, we need you. Lord, self-preservation is an instinct. It's built into us. We don't naturally want to risk being hurt. We don't naturally want to risk more pain. We want to run as far away from it as we can, and you understand that. So what we're asking of you is supernatural. It's not natural. We're asking for what only you can help do in us. We're asking, would you help us trust where we have been captivated by fear? Would you help us yield control when we have perhaps even out of fear taken control and tried to manipulate everything in our lives so that we don't get hurt again. Jesus, we yield to you. Jesus, we choose to declare with our lips, you are trustworthy. We want to be persuaded by you more and more of how good you are, that you've got this, that you know us and understand us and know what's best. Lord, I pray for your grace on each one of us. I pray that you would lead us to those people. Even now, stir our heart. Don't let us leave this place without jotting a note on our phone or a reminder to, if it's have a conversation, if it's to reach out, if it's to ask for prayer, wherever you're asking us to let the gate down and the wall down so that you can come in through even someone else and do a work in us, God, we say yes. Give your people grace and strength. Heal every hurt. Minister to every broken heart. Strengthen every soul. In Jesus' name.